0: To me, the the key for writing John and also talking to Eric about John is that villains don't think they're villains.
1: I'm talking to Alexandra Cunningham, the showrunner on the new Bravo series Dirty John. The Eric she's talking about is Eric Bana, who plays the title character, who she wanted for the show and fought to get.
0: I definitely think that John developed some kind of superiority complex in conjunction with a sort of persecution complex, like that no one's as smart as I am and also everyone's out to get me. And so therefore, anything I do to sort of save myself and get what I need is justified.
2: The people who drive industries, entertainment and culture shape our world every day in bold and dramatic ways. But did you ever wonder how they got there? Behind the Talent features in-depth conversations with people who identify and develop talent, the people who find the people that shape our world. Guests include big league sports scouts, rock star talent agents, and CIA officers. Uncovering the skills and challenges that unite them all is the job of host David Mead. He's an expert speaker and educator, and he brings his own curiosity and insights to each interview to expand our understanding of what it means to be a recruiter in today's world of work. Brought to you by Indeed.com, Behind the Talent is a must-listen for anyone interested in the secrets behind identifying talent and unlocking potential in individuals and organizations. Subscribe to Behind the Talent Now, wherever you get your podcasts. From the Los Angeles Times and Wondery,
1: I'm Chris Gofford, and this is a special bonus episode of Dirty John. those of you unfamiliar with the term, the showrunner is not just the head writer, but the arbiter of a thousand production details, large and small, from casting to costumes. Basically, the CEO of a corporation that forms for a few harried months and then dissolves. Cunningham's first job in the role was the American version of Prime Suspect.
0: One of the things I, I loved about the Dirty John material was it was actually an opportunity to Write a lot of the different kinds of stuff that I've written in my career. There were uh, there's procedural stuff in there, law enforcement, procedural stuff. There's, you know, obviously the emotional, twisted fairy tale version of it, which you know, I mean, I always soap seems to be kind of a dirty word in our business, but I actually think any story that has emotional stakes is a soap. Like, I, Claudius, is a soap. Uh, Saving Private Ryan is a soap.
1: Cunningham spent six years writing for Desperate Housewives, and she sees parallels with Dirty John.
0: When Desperate Housewives was good, it had a lot in common with this story even though the story really happened in the sense that, you know, here's these women and they're on an emotional roller coaster tightrope and it's about love and it's about fear and all of the things that this story is about except this really happened. The core of the Sopranos, the greatest show ever, is love and family and murder and fear and all the things that this story has. So like, because maybe everything goes back to the Greeks. I don't know.
1: I first met Alex Cunningham at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles in L.A. just before she signed on. And from the beginning, we agreed on what I thought was an essential point. The series was not going to try to explain John Meehan. It was not going to put him on a couch with Dr. Freud in a search for childhood horrors that might serve to mitigate or justify his awfulness. I didn't think of Meehan as a man wearing a mask that concealed a wounded, more vulnerable, more authentic self. I thought of him as only masks, concealing total emptiness. I thought of the scene in The Invisible Man where the hero peels away his bandages and there's no one there. In the writer's room more than once, Cunningham made the point that one reason people want explanations for John Meehan is that it gives them the comforting illusion that he's somehow defendable against
0: people want to have John completely explained because if they they think if they know the reasons behind his behavior then that will help them avoid a person who behaves like that except of course obviously you you wouldn't know these things about your John if he came to you and and tried to do the things to you that John did to women you wouldn't know any of those things about that person so it really wouldn't help you I will feel sorry for you up until the point where you you injure someone else when you weaponize what happened to you. And so that was, that was important to me to not feel um, like that's what we were doing is trying to, to elicit any sympathy for John, except perhaps as a child, because in episode five, we do do a little talking about how the con artist part of him came from his father who was very proud of possibly being related to famous mafia figures.
1: Episode five of the TV series gives us a glimpse of John Meehan's childhood. It shows him under the influence of his father, a small-time crook who ran a card room and introduced young John to a variety of swindles. At one point, as they sit together at a restaurant, the dad passes the boy a shard of glass to bite into in a scheme to
3: get money out of the owners. You know, so Alex really felt that John was a black hole, and I know you guys really felt that. But as a director, I couldn't really work on those.
1: This is the director, Jeffrey Reiner. He's best known for his work on Friday Night Lights and The Affair. He's directing all eight episodes of
3: Dirty John. I can't give an actor directions or, you know, play subtext if there's not subtext. So if you're just playing somebody who's an evil person then you're going to have a lousy performance. And so, you know, Eric and I would really discuss a lot, you know, what motivates this guy. And so you have to dig deep for that. So when we go back to episode five and we see his past, I think it's all right at that moment in that boy's life to feel sorry for him. But when you go to the future, it doesn't justify his behavior. It just gives you you know, this is what he turned into.
4: Right now is a time of turmoil, and not just in the headlines. 2020 is a year of profound and uncomfortable changes. Many are experiencing personal feelings of anxiety or depression that they're not accustomed to. If you're feeling overwhelmed and need to talk, BetterHelp is there for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who's ready to talk. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Within 24 hours of sign-up, you can be talking with a licensed counselor, specialist trained to listen and help. Log into your account anytime and message with your counselor or schedule video or phone sessions. It's more convenient and more affordable than traditional counseling. BetterHelp is committed to finding you the right counselor easily switch anytime, no charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash dirtyjohn. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. So many that BetterHelp is recruiting more counselors in all 50 states. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dirtyjohn.
1: Director Jeff Reiner says that when he first met Alex Cunningham, the conversation focused on the series' point of view and how to transcend the conventions of a straight thriller.
3: The normal approach to this material would be a thriller where the woman's looking over her shoulder the whole time. And that's not something that Alex and I were interested in. We were interested in kind of deconstructing it and telling it from different points of view.
1: The most striking shift in point of view comes in episode seven, which is told from John Meehan's perspective. Here's Eric Banner, who plays Meehan, describing
5: it. We get to see what he was doing for an hour before meeting Deborah on that first date that we enjoyed in episode one. We get to see what he was doing just before stealing the drugs that he was administering to a a, a patient. We get to see how many women he was calling before he called Deborah the first time on that you know, so it was it was a pretty raucous, bawdy idea for an episode that, you know, we tried to have some fun with as well, and we realised that for those people who you know, want to embrace the, the dark humour, that there was there's a lot in Seven. He's in his R V in the middle of the, the the desert, being rejected by other women and packing viagra into his pocket and doing drugs and it's just and we see him lying we see him on the phone lying to people and one of the things i loved about seven was you know john being on his own it's, and i was fa- one of the things that fascinated me about this character was um which you know we you allude to a little bit when you played the the uh, audio from the wedding is that he had no friends which was really fascinating you know, because some people claim to be lone wolves or claim to be sort of loners and stuff. But John, to me, was a true loner in amongst people. Reiner, the director, told
1: me he spent a lot of time thinking about Travis Bickle, the violent loner from Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Reiner is also a fan of the director Billy Wilder and the darkly comic tone he brought to classic noir films like Sunset Boulevard and Double Indemnity.
3: So tonally, I had to make sure that there was a sense of humor, which... Quite honestly, I got from you, from your, um, from your, the, the tone in which you read it. I don't know if it was purposeful or not, but I always felt like there was this slight ironic kind of take on the material.
1: The real life John Meehan was a con man and a sadist who hurt more people than we'll probably ever know. A creature of malevolence so pure. It's hard to think of analogs in my long experience of writing about very bad people. But nobody on the Dirty John series thought it would be interesting to portray him as a glowering papier-mâché
3: villain. So he had to be charming, and he had to be funny, and he had to be, even in his evil, had to be somewhat funny. Yeah, there is this character who might think he's in a Scorsese movie, or he might think he's an ultimate villain, and so that will dictate what he says and what he does. You know, there's a scene where he goes to meet Toby at the door, and Toby calls him out for being a liar. And I don't have to take four. I told Eric to eat a sandwich while while he's doing it. So there was this kind of cavalier attitude, you know, when he's telling him he's kind of telling him all this dark stuff. You know, he's chomping on a sandwich. So to me, it just gave the character like that scene suddenly a nonchalance to like his evilness which makes it even more evil and but it does make it somewhat darkly funny so and also he's a, he's a predator having a meal yeah well I never thought of that thematically but you're right I mean I'll let you some film school uh, students will write that essay they might write that essay <laughs>
1: You can catch the premiere of Dirty John on Bravo at 10 p.m. on Sunday, November 25th. It's a production of Universal Cable Productions and L.A. Times Studios. And this is the last of three special episodes about its making. And here's a reminder that before it was a TV show, it was a work of journalism. You can find the original LA Times series plus 14 other pieces of narrative journalism in my new collection. It's called Dirty John and Other True Stories of Outlaws and Outsiders by Christopher Gofford, published by Simon & Schuster.